This is Q Raiders coming at you once again. Uh, something a long time coming, you know, that uh, we wanted to hear from from the horse's mouth. We talking about Greg Kading, former LAPD officer who was in charge of, of the Biggie and Tupac investigations and into their murders. And uh, I have him on the line. Greg, how are you doing today, man? Everything's good. It's sunny out. It's sunny. Are you here in L.A.? Uh, I'm not in Southern California. I'm actually out in San Bernardino County, east of L.A. Okay. Okay, pretty close. Uh, tell me a little bit about you for the people that are not, um, that, that don't know you, like uh, a little bit of your background and your career. Pretty basically, I'm just a regular guy. I retired from the LAPD back in 2010. I did 25 years in uh, my law enforcement career, and there at the end, the last few years were focused pretty much on the investigations of uh, Biggie and Tupac. So I got assigned to work the Biggie case in 2006. It kind of morphed into the Tupac case once we started seeing some crossover. And then, uh, you know, we ended up getting, uh, you know, drawing our conclusions based on the investigation in about 2009. And then I retired in 2010. I wrote a book. Oh, wow. Pretty young to retire. Yeah, I started young. You know, I was, I joined the police department when I was like 20 and a half. So, um, I started really young. So I guess you, you sort of uh, hinted to my first question, which is, is Tupac alive? We're not in my, not based on any evidence, that's for sure. I know people kind of read into circumstances and read into lyrics and read into, you know, certain, um, you know, uh, certain things, but uh, certainly not from where I'm standing. He's alive. He's, he's dead. He's cremated and he's gone. But his music lives on as it does his legacy. All right. And so do you, this evidence of his death, I mean, did you come in contact with, I know there's a lot of evidence, but did you, you physically see any of this evidence, uh, a body, uh, you know, maybe talk to some people that actually cremated him or anything like that? Well, there's records of all that happening. I didn't personally see it. I didn't get involved in the investigation until long after his death. You know, I was working it as a cold case. Um, so, no, I didn't see it. I wasn't there at the hospital when they pronounced him dead or when his body was transferred to the morgue and cremated and his ashes then, you know, were returned to a Feeney. Um, you know, for the, for the alive theorists, I don't think they can fully appreciate or understand what would have to be involved for that type of cover-up? How many conspirators would have to be involved? And I'm talking about conspirators that are all professionals, you know, doctors and morticians and, you know, all of these people that have no reason to compromise their professional standings in order to be involved in a conspiracy just to get Tupac to, you know fake his death. I mean, people just don't appreciate how far-fetched that actually is. Okay, so then moving on then, then I'm assuming that you have no doubt that he was murdered. I absolutely no doubt. He was shot on the 7th of September in 1996. He was dead on September 13th of the same year, and shortly thereafter cremated, and then his uh, remains were returned to Afini. Wow. And by the way, Afini's made it very clear that her son was dead when she tried to console the mother of Trayvon Martin after he was shot and killed. And you know, she reached out and told Mrs. Martin, you know, I, I understand your grief because I've lost my own son. 
So I don't think Afini Shakur would reach out to a grieving mother and just fuck with her head if Afini thought that her own kid was alive. So those are the type of things that I don't think fans fully take into consideration. So then going directly, you know, without uh, without any chase, who would be the the murderer who, who committed this crime? Well, the evidence all points toward Orlando Anderson from the Southside Crypts. That's where all the empirical evidence points to. Same individual that Tupac Shakur had gotten into a fight with earlier that night at the MGM. Okay, and then out of all of this information, for example, you, you go in directly to this person. How come an arrest was never made? I know that it, that's not possible now, but why at the time, from what you've seen, how come th this was never at least held as a suspect? Oh, he was held as a suspect. He was the leading suspect and always has been the primary suspect. Uh, unfortunately, you know, for... Uh, for the case, he was killed, you know, years ago, and so prosecuting him uh, was impossible at the time that we had developed the information that secured the definitive conclusion pointing to him. So unfortunately, a lot of people weren't co cooperating in the early days. Uh, certainly, death row records and members of its entourage and Suge Knight, they all knew who did it, and that's why they retaliated against the Southside Crips. Um, but law enforcement was never able to prove it. And there's a common saying in, in, you know, in our justice system that it's not what you know, it's what you can prove. And they just didn't have the evidence back at the time um, to take it to court and get him prosecuted. And this may be uh, not the smartest question, but is it possible to prosecute or, or charge someone even if they're dead just to sort of close a case? No, but you can close a case. Uh, but no, you can't prosecute a dead person. Because, well, you could close. This case is still open, right? Well, um, you'd have to talk to Las Vegas PD about what its official status is. And just like the LAPD with Biggie, um, they're very reluctant to get into... Um, details of the case and where it stands. Uh, what I can tell you is that there's no real proactive investigation going on, uh, which you know, obviously leads itself to the idea that they know what happened and they can't do anything about it. I see. And is this lack of um, action, is it uh, on purpose or is it just not, they don't feel like it's important enough? Well, no, it's because they're unprosecutable cases. It's not that they're not important or that there's, there's nothing to do. I mean, if, if you've come to the conclusion that these things happened and you can't use that information to prosecute anybody, then it doesn't leave a lot of open doors, um, you know, to, uh, to, uh, to investigate. So, you know, you've got all the co-conspirators for the most part are dead or they have some type of immunity agreement with the government and uh, therefore they're unprosecutable. So the police department is kind of at a uh, at an impasse. Okay, because I, I feel like a lot of fans probably would just not necessarily the prosecute uh, the, the legal part, but just some sort of closure where it's okay. This is what happened, um, and and you know like an official account of what happened, so that people can actually either you know let Tupac uh, rumors go. Or, or just feel better about the justice system. Will this ever happen? Like someone's just gonna just give us the evidence officially? Well, I think that the public has been given that evidence officially. I think that, um, you know, 
fans, depending on where they're coming from, what their own background is, what their perceptions are of the justice system, how they feel about the police department. All those things come into play when an individual is deciding whether they're at peace with the information that's available to them. There's a lot of fans, I talk to them nearly every day, that have closure, that they say, hey, these are the most, um, you know, the rational conclusion based on the knowable evidence. Um, we accept that Orlando Anderson shot and killed Tupac Shakur and killed him. Um, there's other fans that just don't trust the police. So if I'm telling you these are the facts, they're not going to accept that just because it's coming from a former detective's mouth. Uh, they just, you know, have their own preconceived notions about our justice system and don't trust them. So therefore they won't accept those conclusions. So everybody's got to kind of, um, you know, come at it from, from their own position. And do you believe that, um, and I mean, I mean, you're obviously a former police officer, but is it possible that there are cover-ups within the police department sometimes that make people distrust the information? Well, in the realm of possibilities, you know, anything in life is possible. Um, you know, we know that historically, yeah, there's been corrupt officers. We know historically that, yeah, there's been government cover-ups on things. Um, but what I'm telling is that there isn't in regard to this case. Um, you know, the police department has nothing to gain by being involved in this big elaborate cover-up. Their officers weren't involved. They have no exposure in the case and therefore no motivation to do that. You know, I mean, it's people don't, again, going back to like the alive theorists, people do not appreciate how many people would have to be involved in such a massive cover-up at all different levels and all for what? What are they getting out of it? Well, I, I'm going to give you a theory and this is this is in mind, but I interview uh, RJ Bond a while back and he's sure without a doubt in his, in his uh, perspective that the LAPD was involved in the murder and that's the reason that a lot of the, the, the information is not out correctly and he says the motivation to cover it up would be because if you're involved in it obviously you want to cover it up because you would be implicating yourself and he, he does mention you by name per se uh, what would you say to the, an accusation like that like that maybe you had something to do with even the cover up you know you have people cut from the same cloth as R.J. Bond. He's in this. Well, think about this. R.J. Bond has changed his story. And what they'll tell you is, yeah, they're expanding on a theory. But if you really go back and take the time to evaluate what's been said and what's been done, it's constantly changing. Constantly changing. They just figure out how to use information to fit a preconceived notion and then put it out there as if it possibly could be true. But what they don't do is take into consideration all of the facts and evidence that undermines their own theory, that disproves them. That stuff just gets pushed aside. So again, just going back to how massive, if you just take into consideration their latest work or their latest theory, how many people, how many moving parts from all different walks of life would have to be involved in this conspiracy, but yet there's not one piece of evidence that's not contrived or misrepresented that, that exists. So 
And I think most people have figured that out. I mean, really, if you just look at how how people are perceiving this ongoing, ever-changing story that they're promoting, uh, you'll see that most people don't buy it. Most people are very frustrated with the fact that they even do it because it just leads to confusion and, uh, you know, and, and further problems um, in the legacy of Tupac Shakur. And now keep in mind, and I, I apologize if uh, I'm belaboring the question, but keep in mind, you know, there was never anybody saying that cops were involved in the murder of Tupac Shakur early on, right? It was all the, it was either the Shugnite or the Southside Crips. Those were the prevailing theories. Unless, of course, you're John Potash, who thinks it goes all the way up to the CIA. Again, hundreds of people are being involved in a cover-up from different walks of life with no evidence. Wow. Tupac, I'm sorry, uh, but Biggie Smalls, they want to say it had something to do with these dirty, you know, police officers and their association with Suge Knight, and they agreed to do this. Officially, first it was Suge Knight that put the cops up to it. Well, that's all changed now, according to their theory. Suge Knight's a victim of all this. And now it's this ex-Compton PD officer named Reggie Wright Jr. who was supposed to be taking over death row. And certainly none of that worked. So if you just take your time and think about what's actually being said, spend a little bit of effort evaluating these theories, you see there's no evidence to support any of it. It's just these far-fetched notions that they promote so that they can sell DVDs and make videos. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I completely understand the, the business aspect. And um, and I, I'm actually very neutral on this. And that's why I wanted to talk to you and kind of get uh, your side of the story. Because a lot of things beyond evidence, just common sense things that don't make a lot of sense to a lot of fans. For example, being shot in Las Vegas after a fight in the middle of traffic and uh, in a luxury, you know, from someone coming in a luxury vehicle and getting away in Vegas is just it's very hard to understand not that it's impossible but it's just hard to understand how the police who can catch somebody that sets a fire in the middle of nowhere is not able to catch up to this Cadillac or whatever it was that shot uh, and, and with no you know no uh, no one saying anything so do you see where the you know these theories develop therein lies the problem see you just, you just said it yourself no one's saying anything the police weren't there they didn't see it happen. They weren't in a position to chase the Cadillac. Shootings, you know, road rage accidents take place all the time, all the time in Southern California. And a lot of times people get away with it. Same conditions, crowded freeways, road rage incident. Guy pulls up, shoots somebody, kills them. Guy drives off, never solved. Somebody didn't get the plate. So, you know, if you stop to think about what you're saying, the cops weren't there. So that now what do they have to do? They have to rely on people who were there. Now, if those people that were there aren't cooperating and telling the police what they need to know in order to further their investigation, then what are the police to do? All right. So what about this? If someone came right now after listening to this and went up, you know, I don't know, to the police and said, look, I um, I was there. I have evidence or or I'm a witness or whatever it may be. Does it matter? Is the police really going to do something about it? From your opinion, I know you're not in the department anymore, but from the culture in the department, such a case, would it get back uh, opened or, or reinvestigated if someone came forward now? Sure, that stuff happens all the time. And they'll Somebody will call in or they'll come in and they'll say, here's some information I have. 
And the police officer assigned to the case, or I should say the detective assigned to the case, will say, okay, here's this new information. Let's explore it, see where it goes. And, uh, you know, depending on the veracity of the information, um, we'll determine how much is done with it. If a person comes in and says, hey, you know what, uh, uh, here's the information. Uh, there was a white Cadillac. There was four guys in it. And uh, that's all I know. Well, that corroborates what's already known. So what do you do with that information? Nothing. It's just a piece of information that goes in a case file that will either work against or for the prevailing theory. Okay. So it just depends on what a person has to say. If a person comes in and says, hey, uh, you know what? Um, back in 1996, Southside Crip or whoever, Mob Pyru came over to my house put a gun in my backyard, buried it under the shed. Okay, where do you live? Well, I'm at this location. Gun's still there? Probably. Let's go check. They go out there, they dig it up, they find the gun, and then they run ballistics. Does it match? Does it not match? The shell casing's at the scene. If it matches, well, then you've opened some doors. Now you've got a guy with some corroborative information that may lead to um, furthering the case. If they pull up the gun and doesn't match, well, then the information's not of any value, even though the person that came into the police department believed it was the gun. All right. And where does Puff Daddy, Sean Combs, play into all of this? Puff was in a predicament back in the mid-'90s. Him and Suge were going at it. Of course, you know, the whole East Coast, West Coast, you know, rivalry, as it has been uh, labeled. It was really just... A rivalry between those two, it was a rivalry between their artists, you know, Tupac and Biggie to a certain degree, and it was a rivalry between the gangs that associated with both labels. You know, Sean Combs was associate, you know, he uh, aligned himself with the enemies of his enemy, Southside Crips, who were just natural enemies of the, you know, Pyro Bloods. And uh, he was afraid. He knew Suge was hunting him down. And he wanted some street protection so that he could come to L.A. and feel somewhat assured that he wasn't going to get shot in the back, which was exactly what Suge Knight would have done, given the opportunity, or at least one of his henchmen. So he aligns himself with those guys. Things can, you know, can continue to, uh, um, you know, the, the, the flames of that fire continue to burn. He realizes that you know, he can't quell or squash the beef. So he has these Southside Crips take care of the business for him. It was out of this sense of desperation and, and uh, you know, do or die type of perceptions that uh, you know, he spoke with these guys and may or may not intended it to happen, but it certainly did happen. So why why not bring up these uh, charges against them? Because you can't prove them in court. But it, it I mean, to open the investigation, at least, uh, you know, holding them as a suspect will probably give you some resources of open up some doors into proving it or disproving it. You know, but why not even like bring them in? They, they, actually, let me not say that. Did you guys question him directly? He was interviewed uh, after Biggie's uh, after Biggie Smalls' murder. He uh, was less than, you know, cooperative. He was uh, attempted to be interviewed after the lawsuit against the Los Angeles Police Department was initiated, and he didn't want to talk to homicide investigators. He, you know, had his lawyers run interference. So you can't force a person to come in and and uh, subject themselves to questioning. 
even if they're a leading suspect. You know, he's got lawyers that protect him. He's smart enough to know that it's not in his best interest to sit down with the police department, you know, if, uh, if in fact he's involved. So that's no help. The other co-conspirators are dead or in the case of, in the case of QPD have limited immunity based on a proper session. So now you've got Keefe D, a known convicted drug dealer gang member, saying that Sean Combs told me this. Sean Combs not being interviewed, no, not not uh, putting himself in a position to either corroborate, which he would never do, who would, or deny it. So then what? What do you do? Well, you guys as a police are really harsh on on suspects and you have your ways of getting that information. So why? Why? I'm just saying, why? Why the treatment of like, oh, he don't want to cooperate. Let's let him go. Why? Why that? And I'm just I'm just using what you're saying here. I understand. I appreciate it. But it uh, exposes your naivete about how things work. The cops can't force anybody to say anything, even if they've got the smoking gun in their hand and you catch them red-handed. You can't force them to say a damn word. They have rights against self-incrimination, their constitutional rights. And if somebody doesn't want to be interviewed by the police, there's absolutely nothing you can do about it. Okay, but what about the guy that had the immunity? Since he already gave you, he's a witness and he's telling you, look, this is the information that I got. You already have the motive of, of Sean Combs. Like the motive would be, you know, hey, this is my enemy. Uh, they're trying to kill me. I'm going to kill them. Whatever the motive, however you want to word it. He has the motive. Now, th this witness is giving you a sort of like that, that smoking gun that, hey, I'm a witness. I, this is what he told me. He uh, ordered this. So why not use that evidence at least to... Um, get them to court and let them let them prove it or not prove it. Because when a district attorney or a U.S. attorney is evaluating whether they want to file charges against somebody, they look at the strength of their evidence. And as I just explained, any district attorney or U.S. attorney, depending on if it's a federal or state case, is going to say, "Okay, got Sean Cuff, Puffy Combs, a music icon with uh, you know hundreds of millions of dollars." And on the other hand, I have a convicted drug dealing gang member. What are my chances of convincing a jury beyond any doubt that Sean Combs was involved in this solicitation for murder based on the testimony of this drug dealing convicted criminal witness? Because Sean Combs is going to step into court with a defense team like OJ's, million dollar lawyers. And they're going to expose Keefe D for all the crimes in his life. And the jury's going to sit there and say, hey, certainly not going to convict this man based on this evidence. So, again, it goes back to what you know versus what you can prove. Under these circumstances, we don't have enough evidence to bring those type of charges against an individual such as Sean Combs. So, in your opinion, did his uh, status probably grant him uh, more, not preferential treatment, but um, more leniency because it would be so much of a harder case to prosecute? If he would have been a gang member basically on the street, would he not be charged? Yeah, it's a it's an interesting hypothetical, actually, and I can't really answer it. Um, yes, money and stature do play a role and, uh, in, in, in considering what cases to file and what cases not to file. So that's just a reality. So 
Yeah, I would say that uh, you know Sean Combs' ability to bring an incredible defense tem- team to the table, his stature in in, in the community and um, you know social stature probably does play into it. What about Biggie? What about the the whole settlement? Um, do you have any information regarding that? Well, there wasn't a settlement. It was the case was retracted back out of uh, out of court. The uh, the lawsuit was never was never settled. Oh, okay. Yeah, there's been reports, and I'm sorry I don't have that information right now, but reports that actually there was a settlement uh, with the LAPD and um, and uh, Christopher Wallace's. Uh, family that that's the reason that sort of they reach an agreement and that's where it stands so you're saying that there was never a settlement absolutely not there was no settlement in that case whatsoever um the estate of christopher wallace the attorney representing it decided to withdraw the lawsuit against the city of los angeles um and uh, and pull back their allegations because they knew they couldn't prove it. Uh, they knew in court they were just going to continue to spend money in a futile effort to prove what was untrue. And you can't prove something that's, you know, um, not true. So the only, there was a fine during the course of the civil case where the LAPD got fined because it was alleged that they had withheld some um, discovery information, um, but then that was just proved. They found out the LAPD did, in fact, provide all the discovery information, and uh, and that they hadn't done anything wrong. So, you know, that was just something that was like during the course of the civil case. But it, it's not a settlement. A settlement is when you agree to pay a family, or under, you know, in this case, the estate of Christopher Wallace, in order to get the case dropped or to get the case adjudicated. That never happened. It was withdrawn by the state itself. Okay, so the families is fine with the the killer never being uh, arrested or, or the investigation not moving forward. You know, I just don't see them like just saying, "Okay, well, oh well, see you later," and not having a, 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 anything else to do with the investigation. Well, that that question is better asked of them themselves. I can't answer that for them. Um, I'll uh, I'll assume I'll, I'll you know. Uh, I'll answer your question, but it's better that you ask them. I believe that um, Valletta Wallace very much would love to see somebody go to prison for her son's murder. Um, I think Valletta Wallace knows who did it, as does the police department. And uh, but she doesn't understand the nuances of law. She doesn't understand that there are cases that just can't be proven in court, um, especially 20 years after the fact, when... The shooter's dead. The other co-conspirator has limited immunity. And the other individual who happens to be in jail right now is not cooperating. And certainly he's never going to confess to his involvement. And so it's an unprosecutable case. And there's nothing you can do about it. Based on those circumstances, it's a case that just cannot be prosecuted. The murder of Biggie Smalls involved a very small you know, conspiracy. Of, uh, of three, maybe four people. And uh, unfortunately, they just can't get the evidence together to put the remaining or the surviving members of that conspiracy um, and hold them responsible. Well, we're back a, a square one. You know, the thing is, is with so many millions of dollars and resources in, invested into uh 
these investigations and, and these uh, trying to gather information and for nothing to be done. It's um, it's frustrating for a lot of us out here, you know, looking in, you know, obviously we're not involved. We don't know all the details, but it's sort of frustrating when uh, there's, you know, we, we can see who's hacking China's email and Russia and all this technology and that all of that technology has not been able to help a couple of young artists that were icons to a lot of people. And, it, you know, it, it, it makes it seem like the police department just did just enough. And as soon as an obstacle came about, it was like, well, we're a roadblock. Let's go this way. Listen, nobody's I get and I feel what you're saying. I absolutely do. I get it. Um, I'm frustrated as, as much as anybody, you know, to have put the work in, the effort in that we did um, to get to, um, you know, to get to a point where we knew what happened, but then not be able to prove it or not have, you know, people carry on the momentum that we had. Yeah, very, very frustrating. Uh, but I have to accept facts for what they are and I have to accept the circumstances for what they are. And I think that anybody that um, really does the research and really evaluates the evidence for what it is can come to their own conclusions and can find peace with knowing what happened. But they're never going to get the satisfaction, nor will I, nor will Valetta Wallace, of seeing somebody prosecuted. It's just, it's, it's not going to happen. There are unfortunate circumstances. I understand the frustration, and I understand the idea that how the fuck could somebody like Biggie and Tupac just be wiped off the face of the earth and the police department not have done a better job? Or, you know, I get it. We could have done a better job. We should have done a better job. But mistakes, you know. Well, what, what, what would be some of the mistakes? Well, I think personally, in the case of Tupac, uh, I think that um, there is a little bit of frustration, maybe apathy even on the part of the investigators, just because if no, if, if, you're, if you're an investigator, and you have a victim, any victim, but in this case, Tupac Shakur, and his friends, those people that, that, that you would expect to be standing in line to tell you everything they know so that you could solve the case, are doing the exact opposite. They're avoiding you, they're lying to you, they're deceiving you, giving you misinformation. And all of a sudden you start to think to yourself like, well, fuck, if these people don't care, the ones who should, the ones who are in the best position to solve this case, if they're not telling us what we need to know to solve the case, then you kind of lose a little bit of, um, you know, you lose uh, your ability uh, to team up and, and, and to collaboratively solve a case because the cops always have to rely on other people in most circumstances. You know, it's the witnesses that make the case. And when it doesn't leave you a lot of room to work. You know, it's, it's very, it's unfortunate. You know, the code in the street and the gang code and, you know, the snitch code and all of that come into play. And it affects the ultimate outcome of a case and how successful it can be. 
And the same thing with biggies. You know, biggies is no different. Involved gang members and people with ulterior motives and, and liars and deception. And when you're a detective trying to wade through all of those dirty waters, sometimes you can never filter out all the dirt. Well, yeah, I mean, you, you, you have a point there. And um, before I let you go, I, I, this is, this is an, if kind of not on this topic, but in, in the topic. This Suge Knight in some interviews, he, he said that he uh, paid a uh, the person that cremated Tupac about $3 million in cash to do so. In your investigation, does this come up? Of course, taken into consideration. We also take into consideration whose mouth it's coming out of, you know. And he's got Shugnai saying at some point that he holds Diddy responsible. At the point he's saying Tupac's alive. You know, it's very difficult to really take anything that Shugnai says seriously because it's either changing or he's, you know, you know, I think people can understand uh, the character of Shugnai just based on his history. Um, it's, it, he's, I think he's the first one who, who actually publicly said, it's not my job to solve murders. No, I'm not going to help the police. Well, what does that tell you, right? So then when he says, hey, I paid this guy $3 million to cremate Tupac, whatever, you take it with a grain of salt. But did you guys investigate what happened to Tupac's body? I mean, as part of, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm assuming the body has to do with your investigation, how he was murdered. Uh, his remains, his ashes were put in an urn, and the urn was given to a Phoenix Shakur. Okay, but he was cremated in Vegas or in L.A.? At a morgue in Las Vegas. His body was not transferred back to Los Angeles. His body went from um, the remains came to L.A. before going to, um, I think it was Atlanta at the time. I'm not sure. I'd have to check on that. But the body never came back to L.A. Okay, but did you guys look at uh, uh, all of the, I'm, I'm assuming all the police reports from Vegas, did you have access to all of those reports about where he was shot and where the bullets came from and you know, all of those, I'm sure, comprehensive reports uh, from the police in Vegas? Yeah. So during the investigation back in 96, and especially you know, after Biggie was shot in 1997, and, you know, detectives start to consider, well, yeah, is this connected? Is Tupac's murder have anything to do with Biggie's, vice versa? So then the detectives from those agencies begin to collaborate and start to share information. Hey, send me your reports on that. Okay, fine, we'll send you our reports on this. And you start to collect all this data. So a lot of the um, official reports from Tupac Shakur's murder investigation in Las Vegas found its way into um, the case files in Los Angeles. Has that information ever been released? Yeah, some of it has. You know, sporadically, you see uh, you see files getting released. You see, you know, interviews of witnesses getting released. You see, you know, medical. Like I think I think last thing is the. Uh, the ambulance report of the, the medical report, I'm sorry, of the uh, of transfer from the crime scene to the hospital. And little stuff like that, it comes out. Are you still connected enough to get all of the records released? Uh, no, I can't, you know, go to Las Vegas and say, hey, you need to release all of your records and they're going to flip me off and go, the fuck are you and why should we? It's a, you know, a, uh, a cold case file. And we're not going to publicly put this information out. It's just not the way police departments handle, you know, their PR. They're just not going to release all the files in the case. And for good reason, oftentimes, you know, because people lie on people. And so you're going to get a statement that says, hey, this person did it. 
and that information gets out there. And now you've got somebody being falsely accused based on some official public document. And that's not fair to that individual. I mean, it's reckless and irresponsible for the police department to allow that information to be put out. Much like the case of Amir Mohammed in the Biggie Smalls case. And he got connected to the case based on bad information and then was publicly scrutinized for years as the murderer of Biggie Smalls when he had absolutely nothing to do with any of it. But he had to live through that because of reckless release of information. There were, there were other people accused of um, these murders? Sure. If you look in the case files, I mean, people were calling in on America's Most Wanted and saying, hey, Jay-Z did it. Hey, uh, Oprah did it. Hey, this person did it. Oh, hey, yeah. No, I'm, I'm talking about credible, credible people well, that maybe well, could have been it. But that's the whole thing is that you have to take this information, these clues or these leads, and you look at them and you have to determine if they're credible or not. But the police department's not going to take the time to go, okay, let's go through our case files, separate everything that we consider versus, uh, credible versus not credible and then release those files. What about David Mack? Mm-hmm. Where where does that stand? And I know for a while he was uh, one of the, the people, well, at least in the rumors is that he's one of the suspects um, on the on the Biggie's death. It, has that ever been resolved? Yeah, it's been resolved. It was resolved that there's absolutely no evidence to support those allegations. David Mack was a dirty cop, obviously. Mm-hmm. He went and robbed a bank, went to prison as a result of it. But there's no connection whatsoever to David Mack and the murder of Christopher Wallace. There's no connection whatsoever to David Mack and death row. And to clear another rumor, is it true that in David Mack's home they found a, a shrine to Tupac? Well, that's been over-exaggerated. I mean, I guess it depends on what your description of a shrine is. But yeah, he had some CDs and a poster in his garage. And some people started to fuck with the primary investigator because he was on to this, you know, uh, this theory that David Mack was involved, and so somebody had told that investigator, yeah, there was a shrine. And of course, that got memorialized in a book, and so people then began to believe that there was an actual shrine when there wasn't. A couple of CDs and a poster on the wall. Did you see them, or, or any pictures uh, of that little space for Tupac or whatever it was? Yeah, they went into the case files of the bank robbery report. You've given us uh, a lot of information. I'm sure a lot of questions are being open as always. You know, people are never really satisfied, including myself. But I really, really, truly appreciate you taking the time and and addressing this and going back to your book, because I think that anybody that is interested in this and is listening to this right now should definitely read the book, because I think you're very detailed on a lot of of these investigations. Uh, What's the name of the book again, the full name? Uh, Murder Rap, The Untold Story of the Biggie Smalls and Tupac Shakur Murders. Okay, and is that uh, Amazon? Yeah, you can get it at Amazon. Okay, is there another book in the works? Um, not related to this. Uh, there's just, uh, you know, I don't want to be one of those guys that tries to take advantage of, uh, there's not enough material to work with to put a book that would be relevant out. The, the information that anybody needs to know is in the, in the original book. And of course, now you've got a lot of other people coming out and saying, hey, you know, um, these are the conclusions that we knew of back in the day that we never spoke up about it. But these are the things that we heard from our neighborhood. These are the people we heard from our associates. So it's getting a lot of support from people who would have been in positions to know these things, but were never comfortable coming forward and stating them. 
Um, and which is a responsible thing because it's not it's not cool to come out and start making accusations unless you you know if you got the evidence to to prove it. So oh, by the way though, um, there's going to be a series. Uh, we just are in the middle of shooting the pilot for a series on the USA Network called Unsolved, and it deals with this whole thing. It's based on the book, and it's going to be a scripted, dramatized version of everything that took place from 1996 all the way up to 2010. Oh, wow. So it's going to be a it's going to be a really great show. There's some great actors in it, and the writers are really good. And I think it'll be really entertaining for Tupac fans and Biggie fans um, to see it in action. I, I think books are cool, but there's better ways to tell stories. In fact, I think the documentary based on the book, Murder Rap, the documentary, is more intriguing and compelling to a fan because you get to see the documents that we refer to and you get to hear the voices of the audio tape recordings from witnesses and from the co-conspirators. You hear TPD talking about uh, the conspiracy to kill Tupac and how it went down. And I think those things really resonate with fans to hear the voices of the people who are involved. And you can't get that out of the book. And we, where can we watch that? Uh, so let me think. With the Murder App documentary, you can pick up the DVDs. I think you can buy them on Amazon. It's usually aired on Reels Channel, kind of uh, uh, routinely aired on Reels Channel. Okay. Um, Google Play, um, iTunes, all the typical ways of, of watching them. It's, it's the same title, Murder Rap. Okay. I'm sure that uh, everybody's already seen it or will watch it after this. And I really, really appreciate you coming and, um, and you know, talking to us and, and just f- for fans to give us a, a perspective from your side since there's so many sides. You know, this is incredible. Like Elvis Presley didn't have these many sides to his disappearance. So thank you very much. And I really appreciate it, Greg. You have a good one. It's my pleasure. You can call anytime, pal. Thank you.